This is a Bible study on the book of Ruth, and we are in chapter 2. As we did in chapter 1, I will read the text first, and then go back and look at some of the highlights. So, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set forth and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come upon the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose maiden is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, It is the Moabite maiden who has come back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my maidens. Let your eyes be upon the field which they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to molest you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord recompense you for what you have done, and a full measure be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, You are most gracious to me, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your maidservant though I am not one of your maidservants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her parched grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also put out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephod of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and showed her mother-in-law what she had gleaned. And she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over, after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she worked, and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of your nearest kin. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is well, my daughter, that you go out with his maidens, lest in another field you be molested. So she kept close to the maidens of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This chapter begins by introducing us to a third main character, Boaz, which name means, In him is strength. He is a close relative of Naomi's late husband, and a man of great wealth, character, and integrity, both materially and spiritually. Notice in verse 2, Ruth does not play the victim, saying, Poor me, I am a destitute, childless widow in a foreign land. Circumstances have overtaken me. Rather, she gets right to work in the fields, gleaning barley for her and her mother-in-law. The book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 9, states, quote, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your land, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time. End of quote. The intent here is to provide for the poor, and so Ruth takes advantage of this provision, and she proceeds into the field to reap for herself and her mother-in-law. And in that, God is going to interweave his own providence, because in verse 3, Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. That word, happened to come, is a way of saying that this was no accident. God had been leading Ruth and Naomi through the entire story, but of course they have to cooperate, and that is precisely what Ruth is doing. Through loving kindness toward her mother-in-law, that is, has said, God leads her step by step into the purposes for which he has provided. If Ruth had sat back and bemoaned her situation, Providence would not have been able to work. We will see God's providence at work again at the beginning of chapter 4, when the nearer kinsman redeemer just happens to appear at the city gate, where Boaz is waiting to negotiate who will carry out the responsibility of providing protection to the widow Ruth. This concept of divine providence is very important in Christian theology. It means the sovereign governance of God, who through loving wisdom orders the universe and everything in it to his purposes, and especially orders us to our final end, which is the beatific vision. This runs completely contrary to the pagan notion of chance and fate. Although God accomplishes his purposes, notice he does not force his will upon the characters, but allows them freedom the dignity of being a cause, especially when they cooperate. 
As St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, quote, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. End of quote. All things would include evil, either physical or moral. A good example of God using moral evil to work for good is the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. This favorite son of Jacob was hated by his brothers, who sold him as a slave into Egypt. Yet notice that Joseph did not curse God, nor despise his brothers. Further evil happened to him when Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of assault. He is in a foreign country, a slave, now thrown in prison, a criminal, everything stripped away. However, through it all, Joseph demonstrates integrity, living under Egypt's captivity. He shows faithfulness to the Lord. Unknown to him at the time, God was actually using these evil events to plan for the ultimate saving of Israel from perishing in a famine. When Joseph finally meets his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, he makes this remarkable statement, quote, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. End of quote. Getting back to our story, had Ruth not experienced the suffering of widowhood and poverty, and had she not cooperated through her loving kindness, that is, has said, she may well have forfeited her privilege of being a co-redeemer. God works this way in our own suffering, crisis, and difficulties. We may not know it at the time, but if we continue to remain faithful to the Lord and open to His leading, God will have a purpose for us. And that is a very important theme in this book. In verse 4, we also begin to see something of the virtues of Boaz as he greets his laborers with this blessing, The Lord be with you. It is apparent that Boaz is a righteous man and brings that integrity into his workplace. Although he is in a position of authority as an employer, he respects his employees and engenders in them trust. This is important because he is able to command his employees not to harass or molest Ruth, and they willingly comply. Authentic leadership does not derive in the first instance from the bureaucratic power of an office, but from the intrinsic character of the person. Boaz did not exercise authority by mere position, but from his ability to influence, and that originated from his virtuous life, illustrated by his willingness to pray for and bless his employees, not just privately, but in their presence. The very phrase, the Lord be with you, as we know, is inserted right into our worship of God through the holy sacrifice of the Mass. The sacred liturgy opens in this way, and the words are repeated at the proclamation of the Gospel, at the beginning of the preface, and finally at the end of the Mass. We are in a relationship with the Lord, and it manifests by our respectful and righteous worship. 
in verses 2, 7, and 8 of the book of Ruth, the virtues of Ruth are again on display. First of all, humility, in the sense that, although she has the right to glean, she does not presume, but rather respectfully asks permission, first from Naomi in verse 2, and then in verse 7 from the overseer of the harvest. Quote, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. End of quote. Second, hard work. In verse 8, she continued reaping from early morning until midday without resting even for a moment. It was productive work, yielding an ephod, that is, five gallons of barley. Moreover, verse 23 states that Ruth continued to reap until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, which according to Deuteronomy chapter 16, was a full seven weeks. The diligence of Ruth has an influence on Boaz, testifying that she was a woman of substance. Furthermore, Ruth fulfills her design by God who calls us to subdue the earth. As St. Pope John Paul II states in his document, Laborum Exercens, quote, Work is a good as something worthy, that is, something that corresponds to man's dignity, that expresses that dignity and increases it. Work is a good thing for man, a good thing for his humanity, because through work man not only transforms nature, adapting it to his own needs, but he also achieves fulfillment and indeed, in a sense, becomes more a human being. Without this consideration, it is impossible to understand the virtue of industriousness, and more particularly, why industriousness should be a virtue. For virtue, as a moral habit, is something whereby man becomes good as man. End of quote, paragraph 9. Boaz responds by treasuring Ruth as a daughter, assuming a kind of fatherly protective role, commanding the other young men in the field not to harass her, again showing a very noble character. Boaz not only obeys the gleaning laws of the Old Testament, but goes well beyond the letter of the law, providing opportunity for Ruth to work safely and in accordance with her dignity. By her industriousness, she is able to use skill and industry in threshing what she gleaned so as to provide for her mother-in-law. So throughout the story, virtue upon virtue interweaves and builds among the characters for the common good and for the good of God's purpose, which is to keep the line of David from extinguishing. Again in verse 10, we see Ruth's great humility Bowing, she falls on her face, saying to Boaz, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? Boaz responds in verse 7, indicates the tremendous witness value of Ruth's virtuous living that bolsters her reputation among the community, influencing Boaz himself to further virtuous action. Quote, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before 
the Lord recompense you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. End of quote. Now, this is a very important verse for a number of reasons. First of all, it assures Ruth that she will find protection from the God of Israel, like a mother bird protecting its young. Second, it begins to anticipate the full acceptance of the Gentiles by God into his kingdom, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It also continues to fulfill the promise of God to Abraham that he have many descendants. A full reward be given to you by the Lord will mean the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's chosen people, Israel. With respect to Ruth, the prayer of Boaz for her protection will be answered by his own acts of hesed. Notice what is happening throughout this whole story. These three main characters, Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi, are models to be imitated. They build virtue upon virtue and show how hesed is to be lived out in daily relationships of interpersonal bonds, Naomi toward Ruth and Orpah, Ruth toward Naomi, Boaz towards Ruth, God towards each of them, and ultimately, Jesus Christ toward us. All of this takes place during a time of great crisis, not only for Israel, because we are still in the period of the judges, but in their individual lives, especially Ruth and Naomi, who turn what is a desperate situation into one that will bless the world. In verse 13, Ruth refers to herself no longer as a foreigner, but as a, quote, maidservant of Boaz, and is thankful, another great virtue that God blesses. In verses 14 to 16, Boaz goes well beyond the minimum of what the Torah requires, giving Ruth food, protection, and favor, and mostly behind the scenes, so as not to shame her or make her feel beholden, an extraordinary degree of hesed shown here on his part. In verse 17 to 19, Ruth gleans in the field until evening and then brings the harvest she has gathered to her mother-in-law, who asks, Where did you glean today? In whose field did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Ruth tells Naomi the name of the man is Boaz. At the same time, Ruth does not report any of the compliments Boaz has given her in his extended speech in verses 11 to 12, another sign of her humility. Naomi responds, The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. This kindness, or has said, is actually God's providence working in the lives of these characters. First, because Ruth just happens to glean unknowingly in the field belonging to Boaz, and second, because Boaz, being a close relative of the deceased Elimelech, is a kinsman redeemer, an important term in the Old and New Testaments. What is a kinsman redeemer? In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25, there is provision for the nearest male relative to redeem or buy back land sold to pay debts. Related to this is the Leverite Law, 
Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 to 6, allows the nearest male relative of the deceased to marry the widow who is childless in order to protect through inheritance the family name. To qualify as a kinsman redeemer, one must be a near blood relative in no need of being redeemed themselves and then able and willing to pay the price. Boaz qualifies on all these accounts. In fact, as we will see, he is a type of Christ, who is our blood relative, taking on our very nature, in no need of redemption, being without sin, and able and willing to pay the price. While in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, Jesus says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. The price is high, but the consequences are staggering. The letter of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 states, quote, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. End of quote. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 adds, Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. End of quote. Jesus is our near relative, the kinsman redeemer. This notion of a kinsman redeemer is prefigured all the way back in the book of Job, chapter 19, verse 25. Quote, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God for myself, and my eye shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. End of quote. Our response is led by Zechariah in his great Benedictus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. Quote, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. End of quote. So we come to the end of chapter 2, and we see that even in our struggles, even in our losses, our times of crisis, God's providence is working. If we cooperate by acts of steadfast love, that is, has said, God will provide a way. In the book of Ruth, fidelity to family relationships are rewarded. Everyday acts of kindness, humility, generosity open the characters to God's blessing to an extent far beyond anyone's expectations.